Hello and welcome to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and you're listening to the only place in cyberspace where we talk about being conservative. We hit on current events, the politically correct cancel culture, and problems with civil discourse. But most importantly, we discuss what you can do to come out of the conservative closet. The Joe Mobley Show is a new and exciting podcast that airs weekly on Monday mornings. We have a range of controversial topics on deck. Even so, it's important that we hear from you what matters most. Be sure to send questions, comments, and things you'd like to hear discussed to ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. That's ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. To make sure you stay informed on the latest content, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Welcome back to The Joe Mobley Show. I am Joe Mobley, excited to dive into uh, an awesome interview with you guys. This week, we have Dave and Charlie from Lost in D.C., uh, which you can find on YouTube, either by searching Lost in D.C. or clicking on their channel in the show notes. Uh, But before we get into that, a couple of quick announcements. So um, many of you saw me on Fox News um, throughout the week. Uh, because of the uh, kind of the ridiculousness we have going on in Loudoun County Public Schools. And that is how you say it. I promise it's Loudoun. It's not Luden. Sorry, Michael Knowles. Uh, but anyway, Loudoun County's school board has really uh, kind of gone off the rails. And if you do live in Loudoun County, then go to fightforschools.com. Um, you can donate to show your support. But the most meaningful thing you can do is sign the petition to elect or to to elect sign the petition to recall uh, and then reelect the uh, school board. If you would, that would be a tremendous help. Uh, if you don't live in Loudoun County, a number of people have reached out from Fairfax and uh, Clark and surrounding counties. Um, yeah, if you want to help, then you can certainly speak out at your school board meetings. Um, you're also welcome to attend ours. You can go to fightforschools.com and donate. Uh, you're also welcome to donate time and other resources that you might have. Um, but another exciting announcement is I have officially launched uh, a merch store on my website. You can check all that stuff out at thejoemobleyshow.com slash shop. Uh, so really encourage you all to get on there. Um, lots of, you know, I guess it's countercultural now, um, but they're... There's some political humor, uh, shirts and mugs and things, um, but I, I think the thing that kind of pulls it all together and shows that we're done seeding ground uh, is my promise uh, merchandise, shirts, posters, canvases. Uh, you can get it on the mug. Uh, and it's just a beautiful uh, painted uh, rainbow graphic that has the promise written on it. And uh, there's a picture of a dove down in the corner as well. Uh, so if you would, definitely go check that out. The shop is available at my website, djmobleyshow.com slash shop. Uh, if you're married to Etsy, you can check out the merchandise there as well. The shop is called Uncloseted Co., as in uncloseted conservatives. That's what I am. Hopefully that's what you are. Uh, thanks, and I hope you enjoy this interview with Dave and Charlie from Lost in D.C. You're a professional analyst, right? They yeah. look at evidence, they look at data, they for make decisions <laughs> for a living. Now, this is what I've said to people, too. They're analysts, and you, yet you this, know they know where there's tons of data, they can't seem to put it together and figure things out. You know, where I work, we are incredibly diverse. When I sit in a meeting, people when people start talking about uh, solutions and ideas, you can see right away, you know, this person has some good ideas. This person doesn't have much to say. It becomes very obvious, you know, who's contributing and all this stuff. I never, I never see, you know, so it's diverse there. In the schools where my kids go, in my neighborhood, everybody gets along. Everyone is pretty much judged on merit, not by religion, skin color, or anything. The only place I see this stuff is if I turn on CNN, <laughs> CNN is like, oh, this country, it's a hotbed of, you know, all these racial pro- It's like... I don't, I, where, where? LeBron is James it, can't know? walk outside his house. Yeah, his $100 million house? Yeah. <laughs> Without getting shot down. Well, 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 and, and who is it? Little, uh, what's his name? The rapper, um, Little Lil Wayne. Little Wayne, yeah. Little Wayne. Uh-huh. Have you heard his story? Yeah. They've, oh, <laughs> I love his story. Because he's like, 
just in a racist country. He talks about when, I, I think, what was it? He had a, there, his house was on fire or something like that, and the, or, or some kind of problem. He, he was like 11 or 12 years old, and these cops come in, and there's like a white guy, white cop that's in charge of everything, and he's like, take care of that kid. Make sure that kid is safe and is out of here. He's like, you know, this guy saved my life. This guy was looking out for me when other people were ignoring me. He's, he's like, this is... And he's like, look at my life. Where is the racism in my life? You know? Yeah. Well, it's where we live in a society where you can go from nothing to everything on your merits. And whether it be rapping or coding or whatever, and there's, there's not a ceiling like there are in some other cultures. So, I mean, to say that we're systemically racist is, it's just, a, it's a ploy by some people to continue to get ahead. I mean, look at what we're seeing uh, with these uh, Black Lives Matter people that have four houses, um, incredible careers. Their careers are perpetuated on the idea of systemic racism. They create the problem to get the paycheck. And it, we're it gullible is a, enough. It's a very profitable to, industry. Yeah. Yeah. It must be, you know. It's... Name a country where people of any color are more successful, you know, than the United States of America. You know, if we're racist, we're doing a pretty poor job at it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's... And, and I always I'll say, too... let too many people in to be... Well, here's, here's yeah. the thing, too. We've got... So there's like six billion people in this world. Probably half of them... Probably two to three billion live very desperate lives, mm-hmm. and if they could, if they could go anywhere tomorrow, move to any place, it would be this country too. Okay, so how how bad is it here? You know, it, it's not they don't want it's not France they want to go to. It's not Great Britain. It's not Venezuela or Greece. <laughs> it's here. All right. So I'm thinking of that time that you and I went to that concert in D.C. We went to this concert. It was in a uh, Hispanic youth center, or at least it was a youth center um, we, we geared were, towards This that. was in our younger years. Yeah. We, we've been buddies <laughs> for close to 30 years. Yeah. And so we're watching this concert, and behind them is this giant mural that represents the border. And on the American side of the border, there's oppression. There's cops. I mean, this is 30 years ago, and there's the... The pictures of the cops beating people, um, racism, all these things. And on the Mexican side of the border, it's lush jungles, people eating bananas, everyone having fiestas and stuff like that. And we're like looking at this thing like, well, why are they coming here then? Why is it that that if it's so great down there, why did they want to come here? Why are they staying, fighting to stay here? <laughs> it's It's... Didn't make sense to us, and that's that thing's still happening today. I mean, people are coming; they're coming from Guatemala, they're coming from uh, Honduras, and all that. They're not stopping in Mexico, they're not stopping in Belize or anywhere. They're coming here. Yeah, this racist country. So, so. I don't know what this dog wants, <laughs> but you know, it's interesting too. I was thinking about this before um, we did the podcast. You know, there's all sorts of things we could talk about. And, and I think if you go back a few years and you do a podcast that's political, you might have to stop a while and say, okay, what, what are some of the things we could talk about? These days, there's so <laughs> much on, you know, you could do a podcast every two days and you couldn't stop talking. There's just every issue, everything's dramatic, everything's overblown. There's so much constantly to talk about. It's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it creates like that reverse content creation problem where you're like, how do you hone in instead of yeah. I can't think almost, of anything? Almost, how yeah, do you it's well, it's like from the, the, the how do you crap. separate the signal from the noise? How do you really focus on what matters when there is so much out there? But I'll tell you another thing. I mean, we've talked about it in our podcast and stuff. How um, the left had to, to me, the left has just moved in such a into such a fantasy land. I think if you go back before, if you go back 10 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe or or further, debates were often about my policy is better and here's why you've got a policy. Here's why. Let's discuss that. And then it slowly evolved just into people on the right are just evil 
and people on the left are good and virtuous. And, uh, you know, we just, they don't even want to talk to us half the time because they're outraged that we even would say we're conservative or that we would support certain candidates. So, you know, it's, it's not a debate situation. It's, 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 you know, it's become something else. Classic red herring. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, yeah, it is. It's, it's like a leftist can pull a red herring out of thin air, <laughs> like a freaking magician. And I just watched, do you guys watch a change my mind? Uh, Steve Crowder does. He does these change my mind segments on YouTube. I've seen some of those a long time ago when he was on the college campuses, but yeah. not lately. I used oh, to work yeah, with yeah, Steve. Yeah. He stopped doing them for a yeah. while, mm-hmm. and, but he's starting back up. He just did one. He's done, you know, like, the border wall isn't racist, changed my mind, or whatever. But he just did one, and it was on voter ID, something like saying that black people can't get voter IDs because they can't drive, use the internet, or pay oh, yeah. 40 to $4. No, you're talking about the video that's all over the place. Yeah. yeah. But the the girl that he, you know, went, had a few rounds with, the it one was a rotating door. It was a revolving door of red herrings. And she... It was so fluid how she could go from one to the next to the next. To the next. <laughs> and they usually, they pick their fallacy of choice. Um, but it just, she was so smooth with it that I had trouble keeping up, have a key in the ear for, you know, stuff that doesn't make sense. So she, like, he would knock down something and she'd just throw another one in? Even without him addressing it, she would transform from one to the next. This is what they do. Just on her own. And, and if you gave her three minutes, or she just spoke for three minutes, mm-hmm. she would say, you know, and and they can't travel that far, you know, and they can't take the time off of work. And she'd talk about work for like 15 seconds. She'd be like, and let's not even talk about the cost. Then it's like, well, 75% of the cost is free all throughout the United States. And really, there are only six states that have hardcore voter ID laws. And of those six, all of them are free. And she'll just pivot immediately (laughs) to how it feels to go into a DMV, which is assisted, like a representative of an oppressive government. Like... What? I got problems well, going to a DMV, but it's not because DMV. of racism, and I don't see any racism. But then there's, there's comments. There's also comments in there. They throw in like, um, "Well, they don't really know how to use the internet." Yeah, the the paternalism. And then, and then the guy. Yeah, and then he's in Harlem, right? And he's asking folks, and he's like, "Well, I heard that um, you people don't know how to use the internet." They're like, "What? <laughs> we all use the internet. It's everywhere." Well, the, the studies are saying that. It's almost across the board between 7 and 8, 7.3, 7.5, 7 point something. Between 7 and 8 black people agree that there should be voter ID laws. Mm-hmm. Agree that you should have to show a picture ID to vote. Agree that, that IDs are not racist, that everyone should be able to obtain an ID. And then she's like, they should use student IDs. It's like, well, foreign nationals have student IDs. Yeah, that's well, the problem. It, it, they it, don't <laughs> want that. They they want to make it easy to cheat. That's the and they're not willing to just say that outright. But at the same time, they're pushing these crazy theories that someone can't, someone still doesn't have their birth certificate or something, and they will never be able to vote. Yeah. But no, I went the to state's going to work with you. Several thousand foreign nationals. Well, they all had a picture ID mm-hmm. that said Liberty University. What did they just show up and oh, I'm going to vote for president? Why, why is <laughs> yeah. it not racist when you walk into a bank and they ask for your ID? What about you get on a plane and they ask for an ID? You do all these things. You know, it's like the meme you see on the internet. All these things, they're not racist when you ask for an ID. But all those, there you go, Delta. You buy a ticket. You have to have the an ID. You, uh, they have to verify your identity. You go to the airport. They have to verify your ID. It's you know? got to be an approved identity mm-hmm. too. So, this bull crap. Okay, that, that's a tight shot group. That so you need. I guess that Delta and the airlines just don't want black people to fly on planes. Is that essentially? I mean, it would have to be if you're if you're going to use logic in this thing. No. We, my office does a lot of shareholder activism, and we go to shareholder meetings 
now it's virtual, but uh, usually in person. And this week, we've been asking a lot of companies about their signing on to that ad by the Black Economic Alliance saying that voter ID laws and the Georgia law in particular are bad, are racist. And when the CEOs have to confront the fact that, like, especially like Bank of America, uh, which needs IDs, today it was Pfizer. Um, yesterday was Levi's and uh, vaccine passports yeah, going to be an ID in, in Coca-Cola. It's like, why do you tell me why voter ID is bad? And these CEOs, they get the deer in the headlights kind of thing, and they'll they'll backtrack and they'll say, "Well, no, I didn't, we're not." Who, who works for your enterprise <laughs> that doesn't have several forms of ID? Exactly, and a credit check, a background check verified their date of birth, their birthplace, where they mm-hmm. live, where they have lived. And I've been to the Coca-Cola shareholder meeting. What they say in those meetings is true. You do have to have an ID to go to their shareholder meeting. And other shareholder meetings, I've had to have multiple forms of ID, multiple verifications that I need to be there, that I have a right to be there. And yet, at the same time, they're going to say, no, we think that these state laws should be watered down so that virtually anyone at any time can go and say that they want a ballot and get one. See, and, and instead of saying we need to let people vote that don't have an ID, what about a different approach? What about saying let's find people that don't have ID, or let's go into communities mm-hmm. where people don't have IDs and let's help them to get IDs if well, they don't have, you know. The problem is, so, is there, there isn't that situation. Um, yeah, well, in, that's right. In it Georgia. Would, it would never, yeah. that they wouldn't find them. One of the problems when they had the voter ID fight mm-hmm. was they couldn't find the people that didn't have the IDs. Um, in Pennsylvania, the woman who was the plaintiff in the case against the voter ID laws, when, when they lost the case, she went to go try and get her ID and had no problems. It was an older woman whose uh, vital documents were, were destroyed at some point in her life or lost, and she thought she'd never get it. No problem. She got it. It was, a, it was, an, it was an amazing admission well, that the laws were not necessary. Think about this. You go into the poorest of the poorest neighborhoods, okay? You go into the houses. They're going to have one of these. you got to have an, an ID for, for your phone. Right. They're going to have a TV with a subscription to a cable service. you got to have an identi- your identity check to get that. So don't tell me that these people don't have right. I this don't ID. know why stimulus checks weren't racist, because if you hadn't filed taxes, mm-hmm. which you need an ID for, which you need a job, <laughs> yeah. which you usually need several IDs for, unless you yeah. work for yourself. And if you do work for yourself, you're probably a card-carrying conservative. But, uh, <laughs> I, I think that people that are at the top of the high, the, the Democrat leadership, or let's say liberal leaders, liberal thought leaders, a lot of these folks know that this is not true stuff. They know that what they're putting out is baloney. But 95% of the people, though, that are liberal, the sort of rank and file folks, somehow, they're, I mean, they're the chomps. They're the ones that believe it and go around and repeat it. But the people that are starting this information, the leadership, I don't think most of... I, I've said before, I think that they kind of lie tactically. Mm-hmm. They feel like we're the good people. Those people on the right are evil. So if you have to lie to defeat Hitler, that's okay. Whatever mm-hmm. it takes. And all of what they do is predicated on getting power and getting increased power. And if that means yeah, fudging voter laws or, or making it so that the ghosts... The, the, the people that don't have the right to vote, vote, then that, that's okay. We, can, we don't have to purge the voter rolls. We, the Nazi thing is the big red hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what the heck do we believe that Hitler would have sided with? Yeah. An armed society? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you look through, yes, the National Socialist German Workers Party, whatever they call themselves, the things they believe in Align with with yeah. the left. Yeah. It doesn't that's, align with our stuff. That's the and critical. It, if Trump, if Trump was Hitler, who ever heard of a dictator that gave you know uh, undid regulations and gave money back to the people, devolved power from a central source? That's what is that what a dictator does? And he was the worst racist ever too, because I mean, the black community got. A lot of jobs, economic gains, those all happen Increases under his watch. Increases in wages, yes. At, I yes. Mean, 
worst rate than the he, he prison was reform. a guy in his real estate empire. He was known for hiring, you know, people for his buildings, whether carpenters and plumbers and, and all sorts of people that did all sorts of things. He would hire the best people he could find. He didn't care if they were Hispanic or black or from India or if they were whatever. It, it never mattered. And everybody said that and knew that about him. But then in 2016, he was a racist. Right. He was, a, he was a hero in the rap community until he decided to run for president, and that that uh, broke the agenda, and that turned him into the, the pariah that he became. So, so, so here's a question that I always think is interesting. So um, do, do you feel like, are, are we losing this battle, or are we winning this battle? What's... Where is this going? It's because things are happening to me. You know, it's just things are happening so quickly. Things are evolving so quickly. It, it, you want to try to guess what is, you know, what is a year from now, five years, 10 years going to look like, you know? And, and there's all kinds of bizarre outcomes that could come from this. So some, you know, there could be some violent outcomes. Um, what, what, what is your basic view of, of what's, where we're going? Uh, I don't know. It's either everything's going to be fine, there's some correcting that needs to happen, or uh, things will get a whole lot worse. And um, I used to be, I used to be strictly, this nation is too resilient and was too brilliantly made for these idiots to take it down. That used to be my line, mm-hmm. uh, but Dennis Prager, he's, got he's me, great. He got me he's to change great. on a dime, and I was like, "Oh crap, he's right. He often is." <laughs> and I was like, "You know what?" And a lot of my friends with with PhDs that have been writing white papers and whatnot for think tanks and heritage and everyone for so long, um, they have a disagreement. You know, he he has a disagreement with them. They think what I thought. We're resilient and we'll bounce back from this. But then Dennis was saying on his show, on Fireside Chat, he was saying, it's unbelievable that we don't have a civil war because during the actual civil war, Americans have more in common than we do now. And the Americans that were really contentious, it was less a percentage of the population. So we had the actual civil war because a smaller group of Americans had less differences and less grievances <laughs> with each other than we have now. Now it's it's everyone. Politics is everything. My wife used to not give two craps about politics, and now I promise you I caught her watching C-SPAN. She's been watching this show and that show, and I said, it's not going to be long before you're watching literal C-SPAN with boring Congress on there, and it couldn't have been two weeks later I come downstairs <laughs> and she's sitting there with you know the laptop open the C-SPAN. Wow. Yeah. See, now my wife is sort of a similar thing. I, I've I've been political all my wife my life. Uh, David has we we worked together long long ago doing this stuff too. But uh, my wife, uh, she's a conservative, but she doesn't really want to watch it. She does she doesn't read about it. She's just she likes to do other things in her life, um, and, and she hasn't started to watch it as of yet. So your wife is still she's she's changing a little more so. In fact, I mean, my wife is like, C-SPAN, oh no, it's the most boring thing. <laughs> She's not watching it often, but I laugh. I'll tell so you, it only starts with a little bit. Here, here's something funny. Taste. So I've got one of these, uh, I've got a sleep app where you go in and you pick different sounds to listen to and you put them on your you know, headphones and you, and you doze off. So there's all kinds of sounds you can pick. One of the sounds is Alan Greenspan on C-SPAN. He's just like, and monetary policy is going to be taking this direction. You use that as a sleep sound? And there is a sleep... I'm not saying I use it, but it is one... You know, it's mostly like running water, yeah. rain, a train, and then you've got Greenspan talking monotone on C-SPAN. Oh so. That's for a certain select amount of people. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, even C-SPAN is almost is exciting now because things are so explosive. It's unbelievable. I, so, so I made it on the C-SPAN. My oh, did you? Yeah, they 
Uh, I did an interview with Pat and Dave Brown. They wrote um, uh, Black and White, that book over there. And uh, they had pitched it to C-SPAN and to, or CNET to be on C-SPAN. And they said, hey, uh, you know, reshoot this with a focus on blah issues from the book. Uh, so we reshot it with video. We did like our, my first live video thing. Nice. Which cool. was... Cool. And experience all the time. Yeah. Uh, but cool. they picked it up. Yeah, so it's on. Cool. That's awesome. Span. I need to put it on my website or something. I haven't really announced it or anything. Dave, you've been on OANN. I've been on One America oh, News. Nice. I've been on Fox occasionally. Fox and, Business. Yeah, Fox Business. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's... Well, I, I work with a lot of stuff where outwardly projecting, like, trying to do as many media things as possible. I'm usually the guy behind the scenes, but, like, today I did uh, a guy named Pastor Greg who's on the USA Radio Network, and um, those things come up every so often. But my, but my take on what you were saying about the, uh, um, the future is we're in Virginia. Um, we have an election this year. Uh, two years ago it was... The Democrats took over the legislature, and I was warning people in 2020, look what happened in Virginia. Virginia used to be a very staid, stable state where you didn't, you didn't see much change. Now we're legalizing weed. We got rid of the death penalty. Um, the inmates are running the asylum. And this year, we have a possibility for a, a course correction. And that could be the bellwether for what happens nationally in 2022 if H.R. 1 isn't enacted. If H.R. 1 is enacted, God knows what will happen. But the pessimistic side of that is, you know, Virginia's changed, obviously, because Northern Virginia has changed. Yeah. And we have so many people on the left pouring into Northern Virginia. How do you, you know, people, you know, I hear people say, well, we got to do a better job of, uh, you know, better, better, we got to knock on more doors. We got to put out more flight. We got to all speak up. But that doesn't change the fact that the number of people on the left keeps going up and outnumbers us. So for us to recover from that, I just, I don't know how you do it. You know, Florida yeah. is a place, Florida is actually, I think, gaining conservatives as a percentage. I think Texas is losing, Florida is gaining, but most places are losing. Yeah, but we have to remember in 2020, um, Trump was the first incumbent, I believe it is, to gain over time. Like, he lost the election, but he gained more votes Oh, that's from 2016. He broke all kinds of records to yeah. have oh lost the election. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, do, do you know the numbers? Do you know the number? Uh, so, Obama, Obama went from, I think he got, um, what was it, like 69 60 million? million 60, first, first election, 69. Yeah. And then he went to 62, I believe. Yeah. Something like that. And then Trump, of course. Which is typical. Yeah. That's, that's what happens. And then Trump went up by, what was it, 9 million, something like that? I mean, the, the official last, numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot There's a lot of people that say Trump may well have hit 80 million and Biden may be in the lower 60s. That's, that's an mm. estimate I've heard from some smart people. But, um, you know, still, we know Trump jumped a lot. Yeah, and so that means that the people who previously weren't voting are getting out there. People are getting activated. Um, in Virginia, um, my wife does a lot of uh, work with the Republican Party. And so I've been at the polling places on election day, seeing the people going in during the Trump era, um, getting there. They voted straight Democrat ticket because they wanted to stick it to the orange man. And so we got a lot of bad politicians in Northern Virginia because orange man bad. They won't have that this year. Um, there was an article in the paper today saying that there's 13 Democrats in Northern Virginia or around the state that have primary opposition. So there's a lot of contested races. A lot of these people are, are just, they're trying to go harder left. And I think there's going to be a blowback. That's going to be... A, yeah, the country doesn't really yeah. want to go as far as what CNN and, and what all these yeah. folks, folks want to do. We're also, you know, here's a bright spot. We've got more, more, a greater percentage of Hispanics, a greater percentage of blacks that came over and voted for Trump. So there is that possibility that we could be converting people. But mm -hmm. it's, you know, so, so on the different paths we have, you know, a kind of worst case scenario is the, the Venezuela scenario, right? Where 
Um, we just completely lose it. The socialists take over. They basically pilfer everything, and it's complete collapse. That's that's the here's, worst. Here's my theory about that. Have you guys noticed throughout history, because of the government we have, the type of economy we have, the type of freedom that we have, uh, all of our metrics have been different than other countries. So, man, it failed so fast. Socialism was a slow burner in the Soviet Union, you know, in, in Asian countries, but it failed so fast in Venezuela. I really feel like if we did it here, it would fail within, you know, the Scandinavian countries did this too. They tried the socialism and they were like, this has crapped all over the economy. We'll keep <laughs> this and we're switching back to this through the vote. I think it'll be less than five years before just total collapse. If we just did it here, if we were just like, you know, like cops are thinking right now, you know what? Maybe we should all just take a week off and see what these idiots, mm -hmm. how they fare. If conservatives were just like, you know, what if we just did a year of socialism? What if, what if we just did it, came back together? Maybe we all go somewhere, Florida, Texas, whatever, and we just give you United States a year of unfettered socialism. I think it would crap out that fast. I mean, I, I hope that's right, but then you look at let's <laughs> let's take let's take Greece, okay? Greece, with all the problems they were mired in, you still had so many of the Greek citizens saying, "Oh no, we're not giving up this and we're not giving up that. We're used to these benefits. We're keeping these, whatever it has we have to do." Yeah. You know, and then Germany and Europe kind of cut them a break there, but it, it, even for some of these countries, no matter how bad it gets. They stay convinced that um, I, th I think they're convinced that um, it's the people. They think it's the people in charge that are the problem. It's not always the concepts or you know the policies. I think people see this in California. They say California we're failing because we have these bad leaders. It's not because we're liberal and socialist. So if we move to Texas where things are working right, we can have a good socialist system and just have leaders that. Uh, know how to implement that stuff. That that's part yeah. of the, that's yeah. what they think. Yeah, I agree. I think we're we're already headed that direction with this pandemic stuff. Because I mean, everyone's sitting in their homes, not doing the level of work that most a lot of people not doing the level of work they were doing the year before. Um, getting used to, I think, what Nancy Pelosi was saying back with Obamacare. This is giving time, people more time for their hobbies. This is giving people more time with their families. And we, we did that. We, we got to that Obamacare dream with the pandemic. And a lot of people- are 2020 the year of the hobby then. It's yeah. The, the crap show that it was. When we were, if we were to reopen, Dr. Fauci's not trying, trying not to let us, but if, if suddenly we all had to go back to our office spaces, um, that would radically change some people's demeanors. Um, they're going to suddenly freak out because they're going to have to dress up again. They're going to have to commute again. And they're not going to like that. So I think that we, they've already sowed the seeds for this socialist transformation. Um, and unfortunately, it started under the orange man. I think one of the, one of the problems, too, though, here is... So, you know, people talk about Europe has the great socialist system. We just need to be more like Europe. But Europe, duh, European socialism can exist because it exists in the shadow of America, the prosperous, free uh, country that we are. We, in a sense, they get propped up because of us. Right. If we go socialist and we become another Europe, then who helps us out? Who holds up Europe? Who holds up the other countries? You know, that's when, yeah. then who saves you? People don't know the geopolitical consequences. If we're talking economic or if we're talking, apparently, you know, I was in the military. I, I've studied homeland security issues for a long, long, long time. <laughs> apparently, we live in a fantasy land where countries don't try and take things from other countries anymore. Um, and it seems like these leftists have removed... All reality wars existed from the garden to the second coming, all right? <laughs> you know, bad things, the first murder, we're brothers, <laughs> like bad things. 
are going to happen. And I don't, I don't know if that means, you know, Red Dawn or, you know, <laughs> there's going to be a little Chinaman or a little Russiaman in my backyard parachuting down. But there's, there's economic fallout. But there's a whole lot of other stuff. Physical confrontation, intellectual property theft. If we turn socialist, where that's really not a thing anymore, and everything that's been going on with China is completely allowed unfettered, the United States falls off the map of of world leaders, which is what Ben Carson said, which was parroted by... uh, (laughs) I almost said Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping? Yeah. Yeah. Like, when we got Chinese dictators and conservative Americans Mm -hmm. reading the situation the same, it's pretty bad. Yeah. No, and this is the thing, too. You know, we we have all these red herrings, as you say. You know, we jingle the keys around, and the the liberals are like, yeah, we got, oh, these racism problems, and this problem, and that, you know, uh, Mr. Potato Head, he's the (laughs) problem. Meanwhile, China's over there... (laughs) staying uh, off the spotlight, doing all, you know, there is a real threat. They would like to run the world. And our leaders now are are profiting from China. So, you know, that's where the real threat is. And people need to kind of uh, figure this out and refocus. But they can't. You know know why? You know why Americans can't get that piece of their head out of their butt? Because they've lived in the number one country their whole lives. So it's completely foreign to them. And China... They don't believe it. Yeah, in China, the people who are not in the... Uh, not the regular citizens who have to believe the, you know, the dogma the government puts out. But the Chinese... Uh, not plutocrats. What's the, the word? The elite, the bourgeoisie. Yeah, yeah, the elites in China. They know... That they're not the top dog and they're coming for that spot. They they know the reality of fighting for fourth place, third place, second place. Uh, but we come along, do 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 do. We've been living in fantasy land for so long that everything's rainbows and butterflies. That's how we get people like AOC. Now, now exactly. Incompetent. It, it, I think it's amazing. You see these stories of people from the West, whether it's America or Europe, that say... You know, these countries that everyone says are so bad and all. We're going to do a hiking trip through these countries, a biking trip through these these countries. And look, they're people. We all love each other. And they, they go into these countries. They get robbed and murdered, you know, mm-hmm. and, and whatever else. Because it is. by reality. Y- yeah. <laughs> they're saying what these conservatives said about these countries isn't true. So they go into them and then bad things happen. Because, yeah, they live in a fantasy land. Man. But we, we do. We, it is more of a fantasy land now that, than ever before. And it's only, that's only uh, able to happen because these news organizations are all aligned, right? CNN and MSNBC and, you know, Washington Post now, the New York Times. They're all preaching the same thing. And that's the only way you can keep this imaginary world going is if they all unite and keep uh, promoting that that idea, right? In order to find what we believe in, you've got to go and look for it. I mean, even Fox, you've got to go find the Fox channel or, or the radio people we listen to. You've got to go look them up. But to be a liberal, all you have to do is turn on the T. You know, it's in the entertainment. It's in the sitcoms. It's in the movies. It's in the it's everywhere. It's just pervasive. You know, you said something that made me think. Like you were you were saying something. This might have been uh, before we started. You were saying something like, "We have to deal with these people. We have to deal with the consequences and the reality that the far left brings in, and try and reason with these people." And one, it's difficult because I think there's been. Somewhere between full-blown psyops to just a healthy propaganda campaign for, you know, longer than the three of us have been alive. But, um, so they have that working against them. But they also, we don't want to be wrong, you know, we're people. (laughs) No, I was wrong. There's too much invested, they have too much invested in it. Yeah, and the stuff that the other side is offering, you know, it sounds so good. Free this, free that. 
You get a, de- a degree. You get a degree. No you more debts. All your debts are gone. You get a house. Just kidding. We've outlawed cars. Just kidding. All cars are electric. It's just like, it's hard. I experienced that problem. I'm interested, and I know a lot of young people <laughs> experience this problem on college campuses and their first job. What, if anything, can we say to these people? I poke the bear at work. I do. You know, someone will say something and I'll say, I usually, I go the Socratic method, I love it. And I'm, I feign ignorance, I don't really understand, can you explain it to me? And then they're like, oh, how can I explain that all white people are racist? A white person <laughs> trying to explain, my wife is white, and, and I'll just sit there in the silence, like, yeah, I don't get it, can you explain it to me? But what, what else can people do? Because I need some good tips too, like... Yeah, yeah, you're saying the question is, what can those of us that are conservative do to persuade the other side? Yeah, they seem immovable. You know, I I mean, okay, so on social media, I'd say it's very difficult because you can't have an in-depth conversation, right? You try to say something and they give you a bumper sticker back. And you sit right, isn't that what they do? It's like yeah. our friend. I am thinking, thinking of the same person. This yeah. guy, it's all slogans. It's bumper stickers and slogans. You try to go below the surface into the issues, he's got nothing. Well, the example I was going to bring up was he put up something about remember what happened when you got that vaccine? You went to that place and you. you got the vaccine, you didn't pay for it, and you were well again. Can't we do that with the entire medical system? Easy answer is no. Also, weren't you well before you got the vaccine? Exactly. Well, well, he was saying, um, remember how it was free. Why can't it all be free? Why can't I have a heart bypass for free, too? It's just like that little mixed up injection you made for him. (laughs) No, No, my response, too, was yeah, we all need health care. We also all need transportation. So, how about free transportation? We all need housing. How about free housing? How about free food? How about. So now the list of free, free, free stuff gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And now you're basically over to the Karl Marx system. And this guy would say, sure, why not? Even though he has a nice contractor job, he's got, I mean, he's got everything he needs. He is upper middle class and he thinks everyone else should be able to be upper middle class just like him. Yeah. And yeah, they just want, and we can all pay for it. You know what blows my mind about those? I haven't talked to this guy, not to my knowledge. But what blows my mind about these people, because usually sustainability is one of their main pillars, right? Let's talk about how sustainable that system is. Right now, we've got the doctors, whatever. We have those skilled, you know, that skilled workforce that can do that. Who the heck is going to become a doctor? Which, as far as I've heard, is difficult. Lots of math and Mm -hmm. science, real science about real people and how to fix this and how to look for that. It's not like an episode of House. Who is going to pursue that 100 years of education? And so the debt's gone, but it's still hard. I don't want to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. You know, it's tough. So after this generation of medical professionals are gone, who are going to be performing these surgeries? Well, exactly. And that's what you're doing. You're pilfering things for today... But then tomorrow will come and you're going to have a problem. It's like, let's take down all the drug companies. Let's make, let's take the profit out of being a drug company. Let's give everybody whatever drugs they need. Well, okay, in 10 years, you think drug companies are going to be investing money to find new things? See, yeah, then, then you've lost that. Decentivizing. I, I saw a story a few years back about uh, there, were, there were like strikes and protests by doctors in, I think it was Germany, because they were down, I don't know what it was, they were down to, they were making 90K a year or something like this. They're doctors. And, you know, that, that's not what you expect to happen. If you do that, it's like you say, they're not going to become doctors. They're not going to put all mm-hmm. that work into it. And I've been to drug company shareholder meetings, and they put the big board up, all the, the medications they've been working on. There's maybe only two or three out of 20 that are working. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't work. I mean, they were lucky with the vaccine, or or maybe not for <laughs> for coronavirus. Um, but 
Yeah, these companies, they need the billions of dollars. They need to put to make the drugs expensive because they have so many failures. There's so much work going into to finding the miracle drugs. People don't realize all the failures that are involved. And uh, they just think that um, that it's all whatever five hundred dollar toilet seats or something like that, and it's it's not the case. You're, you're going to kill the goose that lays the golden yeah. egg, and then so what happens next year and, and in the future? Yeah, it's gone. It's the idea of high taxation. We can tax Warren Buffett and all the major companies, take all their assets, and that's only going to pay for like well, six months of our our budget. <laughs> yeah, there. If we did something like this, there is no Dr. Ben Carson. Mm-hmm. You know, 60, 70 years down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Freaking forget about it. But it uh, this it sounds so obvious, the stuff we're talking about. And then we have to argue with smart, college-educated people because they can't figure this out. They think this fantasy world can exist. It's just hard. You know, I always come back and say, how is it possible? I can see how dumb people believe this, but how can smart people believe it? And I think... You know, they are super goal. They just got to be super gullible. I guess you could be smart, but extremely gullible at the same time. I, I think sometimes I think fallacies are powerful, and it's because they've tricked people, like because it sounds good, uh, or people say that sounds reasonable. But it's like, is it sound? Is it logical? And for me, and you know, my wife hates it, but for me, like the logic train has got to be firmly on the tracks or it derails, period. So, and it sucks because I've had to do a lot of social retraining because my emotional intelligence was zero, <laughs> you know, say 15 years ago. Um, so I know I can't just be computing like, <laughs> beep, boop, bop, eh, <laughs> like, thought, 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 and eh, it's run out of tracks. Um, but some of them, you know, that guy that we were speaking about earlier, uh, one of these managers, crazy smart, you know, it has invented things and sold them for hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, you're a smart dude. Uh, but he's succumbed to a lot of fallacious thinkings, and I tell him about it. You know, we've debated a lot about redlining, uh, me being from Long Island, him being from uh, Baltimore area. Um which was interesting because I lived on the one side of the tracks and he lived on the other, you know, always an affluent, you know, white family, which wasn't his fault, <laughs> you know, it's that your grandparents worked hard. And your but he's still a bastard. Uh, but then I tried to explain to him how someone like me does this work or someone like a Ben Carson or pick your, it's not minority, it's your underprivileged person. M&M's the same way, you know. Why? Why does this rapper come to the top? Because he worked harder than everyone else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a white guy, as a super minority, and in, in the hip-hop world, a vicious enemy to have is this little white guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because of his work ethic. Like, oh. Yeah, but these fallacies, people fall for them. Um, you know, I fell for a big one a while ago. Uh, and it caused a huge problem in my marriage. And luckily, we counseled and all, and finally reasoned to the root of it, which is important. And it's like, oh, this thought that I have, it sounds good, but it's not true. And it's going to wreck my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but uh, And then there's the hubris. We don't want to turn around and say... You know, I was wrong. You're invested in it, right? And then you've got friends that are also, (laughs) you're all in it together, and you don't want to say to your friends, you know, I think I was wrong. I think this Trump guy actually had something. (laughs) Because they're going to come in on you if you start saying stuff like, it's easier to stay on there. And especially now, you basically get rewarded if you're to the left. You can work in any company. They're going to love you. You get rewarded, you, and you're going to get beat down if you believe what we believe. So, yeah, this is a uh, hundred years <laughs> into the propaganda. You know, and you, look, yeah. you and I—we're working for the federal government. It's probably in our interest to grow Washington and grow this power base here. You know. Yeah. Well, that's that's part of. I the mean, problem. our kids. Yeah. God, God help our kids. Who, if they leave the area, they're going to have a problem. But. But the, the, the government workers who may be conservative, 
um, they'll want to protect what's theirs. And I understand that. That's a survival instinct. And, and when I'm over at, uh, with my drinking buddies, most of them are at retirement age, getting close to it. Boy, when they start talking about federal retirement benefits, oh, my God, my eyes blaze over. So, Alexandria, do you guys have what, – what are your – now, so Virginia is crazy with the districts. It's like three members. There's your, your state house. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you guys have a delegate running right now? We have a – we have – well, every, every house seat has a challenger this year. Republicans are fielding in every district. I didn't know that. It, That's it was that down to recent? one person. I was, um, well, the filing deadline was about a month ago, and it was down to there was one open. And um, did you come to see Jaws at my house? No, no, we didn't. Okay. I didn't come over. For There's Jaws. a the woman that came. She does running. these driveway movies. Yeah. big screen. She was the last one. There was one seat in Springfield that didn't have a challenger and a friend of ours got talked into it by the county chairman. So every, everyone was challenged. We've got to do this. Scott Pressler's been saying it. Oh, yeah. And Glenn Youngkin's been saying it. Everyone's been saying it. People, and so far as education goes, we need to educate people on how kind of not election law, but campaign processes work because when no one runs and the Democrats just get to sit there with that huge pot of money, I don't think... I didn't know this, but people don't realize that it's a fixed amount of money and every election pulls away from that money. So you're pulling away from idiot Olaf Mm -hmm. by making everyone run, by having all these campaigns, by making them spend money uh, and by doing, you know, ads and counter ads. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Which is funny. I'm, I'm interviewing uh, Julie Perry, who's, I think she's running for school board out near you guys. Okay. Um, is she we don't, we don't have school board in Fairfax County for another three years, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, um, I, no, I'm, she's running for delegate then. Oh, is she? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because, uh, well, delegates up delegates are up this year. Um, two years it'll be everything. Um, yeah, two, in two years it'll be it'll be. School board, Senate, and House. Yeah, Dave keeps up with the local and the state stuff more Only than Only because I. of my work. I tend to, yeah, well, you're right. <laughs> I tend to keep up with federal stuff, and, and I, I don't even keep up with Ashburn uh, all that well. Because yeah, the thing is with Virginia, every year is an election year. We're, we're, if we're not unique, we're definitely yeah. one, or one or two places. Yeah, I'm in Ashburn. Dave's in Alexandria. Bob is in Annandale, mm-hmm. and Pete is in Alexandria. And Alexandria we're we're near we're we're close to yeah. each other. We're yeah. the same zip code. The, yeah, three three of our podcast guys are close, and I'm the one that's way out. Nice job, Charles. Yeah, you guys need to move <laughs> right out. Yeah, she's going for eighty six. Is that in Arlington County? Uh, I'm not sure. Do you, does does it mention who she's uh, running against? I can't guarantee I know, but. Let me ask my wife what is the situation with it. I think uh, I can. Uh, there we go. Oh, there we go. <laughs> that's the, the radical guy. But that's not the race. Oh, yeah, no, it is. Oh, yeah. 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 That's a good, that's a good person to have then. Yeah, I'm interviewing her, I think, on Saturday. Um, but she came out for, you know, we, we do all things politics and here in Loudoun. Um, my wife and I, one of us goes or both of us go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but she came out and gave a little speech. It was really good. I asked her if she'd be on the show. Um, Are you familiar with her, with the incumbent? Uh, from the media, yeah, so Virginia makes national news often. Yeah, because he's the one that screamed at Trump. Your delegate. Yeah, <laughs> good job. He is also the one who, in Virginia, was pushing the the changing to the zoning laws, so you could put high density in low density areas and stuff like that. Yeah, right. we're in a district that um, the guy pretty much doesn't have to do much. The incumbent Democrat. Uh, we have a good candidate. Uh, we have an enthusiastic guy. I'm hoping that maybe with everything that's happened in Virginia, um, that you're getting a call. Oh, that's my. Oh, that's um, my. That uh, 
there may be some pullback. Some people that will come to the polls that, like, well, the they open the schools people will come to the come to the polls and say, yeah, we need to change. And because we're going to be give them two years. Well, that's that's why I was getting confused in my mind. That's a big reason why she's running. She's a school teacher, and yeah, and had it with twenty twenty, and I. I don't okay. think that's so, an uncommon so story. I think people, here, um, people that were apolitical before now have gotten a little okay, taste cool. of what okay. an overbearing okay. government okay. is like. Mm-hmm. When That's uh, why George Washington said in his farewell address, the benign influence of, he said a good government, but it doesn't even matter, the benign influence of government, not supposed to be something that you feel like you have a deep, intimate relationship with, <laughs> where, you know, I kick it with the government on a daily basis. It's not how the average citizen's supposed to feel. That's how a Chinese citizen feels, or, you yeah. know, pick your whole country, South America, Africa, some European countries. <laughs> Our government was meant to be this little small thing. The people were supposed to solve their own problems. The people were supposed to decide how to spend their own money. You know, the people were, would make their own decisions. And the government had this basic uh, thing of uh, a military force to protect from outside invaders, a, a police force, a court system... That's three things. Beyond that, you know, I don't know how much else you really needed, right? <laughs> this is how corrupted the, the arguments from the left don't make sense at all. Like, what's the distinction here? This is how corrupted it is. Uh, I don't know. You guys are probably aware. I don't know if the average listener is aware that there's a little bit of this type of vibe in law enforcement. Constitutional law enforcement being executive agencies and and sheriff's departments sometimes thought of as good, police departments thought of as bad. Um, you know, no accountability to the people, not an elected official, no elections kind of kind of deal. Um, so overnight, people that knew nothing about the distinction knew nothing about the fact that a sheriff and their deputies are. Are the sheriff is an elected, a constitutionally enforced elected office, you know. Once that kind of came to surface now, now it's like, oh, conservatives believe in sheriff's departments and Republic, <laughs> or Democrats believe in police departments, so police departments are good. Yeah. So like here in wonderful Leesburg, there's this battle now yes. between not the best department in the state, but consistently one of the top three law enforcement agencies in the nation. Loudon Sheriff. Loudon County yeah. Sheriff's yeah. Office. And they're trying to get, they, the lefties, are trying to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they can't, they don't control it, right? For that, a police department that doesn't make top 100. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. Well, they want a, a police department for essentially all of the county that then they can completely control. control. And then push out Loudon Sheriff, yeah. That's what they want, for sure. Which is not. But see, th- this is a tactic they use, too. When, when the left wants something, all they have to do is say, you know what, conservatives like this. Yeah. So we like this. We like the opposite. And all you have to, you know, conservatives believe in a multivitamin every day. And then the left's like, <laughs> oh, multivitamins are bad. We hate those things. You know? But here's what I ask people. What is the di- I know the difference. But I ask these angry leftists, again... Because I don't, I don't understand. What's the difference between a police officer in a brown uniform and a police officer in a blue uniform? Because isn't the saying "back the blue"? That's the bad one. Like, so I'm just all, I'm trying to keep up, and I'm all kinds of confused. Why are deputies bad, but cops good? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yeah. I'm just, well, the, yeah, the, well, the party says so. Well, exactly. That's yeah. what we're saying. It, it is bumper stickers and slogans which is what they have in their head. You know, it's, they repeat these talking points. And if you want to argue and say, you know, let's think through this while we discuss it, then they're, they're, they're out of the discussion. The debate's over. You know, you're on Facebook, they go silent. Or block you. In our county. Yeah, yeah or block the, you. Yeah. Our county, it's the Commonwealth Attorney. We, we have a Soros Commonwealth Attorney. I think you guys too, do too. Oh. And um, it was an oh, orange man bad yeah, yeah. Uh, what's fallout. Name? Right. Who do we have? What's Here? Name? Yeah. I have no idea. 
Okay, I, I've, I've heard anyway. you've got a rogue one. Um, and yeah. ours was. Well, I, mean, I just moved yeah. here. My last Commonwealth attorney was in Lynchburg. So. Okay. Oh, how long have you lived yeah. here? Uh, we moved here just before the election. So. Oh, oh I wow. did not know. Okay. That. Oh, I thought well, you been here for a while. I did. Um, I did like third grade through high school in Virginia Beach. I went to Liberty, stayed in Liberty, uh, in Lynchburg for seven, eight years. You know, met my wife, married her. Army took me away, and now. You know, as soon as I got out of Army, I came back to Virginia. So you're really a Virginia kid. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I was, I okay. Because we've had all this York, talk. But I started claiming. Yeah, New York, Texas, all these places I didn't yeah. know. Yeah, okay. that's Army and moving around. But uh, I claim Virginia now. I did, come on, like fourth grade through undergrad well, yeah. here. All your formative years have been here. Yeah. <laughs> if we're going to grab a beer, we should go grab a beer now. Okay, you got to get going. Too late. Okay. Well, it's not that, but, you know, I don't want to be out till uh, late. Well, neither do I. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I got to ask you guys the same thing I always, which is, one, it's great to have interviews where you don't have to ask questions, which is, just, <laughs> those are the best ones. Um, but, I got to ask this one, if you could get everyone on earth to read and understand one book, you can't pick a prescriptive religious text. So, like, Quran's out, Holy Bible's out. Uh, the official worship book of any religion is out because anyone of that religion would pick that book. Um, but if you get everyone to read and understand one book, the series of book, publication, whatever, anything, that's you know, a, what that's a would it be and why? That's, that's a real tough question. Okay, I'll, I'll, throw, well, I'll throw out a couple. Well, okay, I'll just say, well, I mean, I've always liked economics, but Milton Friedman, Free to Choose... Uh, was a book that was a really big book to me, really meant a lot to me. Uh, I think that's a great book. If you want to get into the fiction thing, uh, um, I did, you know, um, I, I liked uh, I liked Atlas Shrugged when I was back in college. I liked her libertarian that, views. Um, of course, you know, if, if you're conservative, you're probably Christian. She was atheist. There is that issue. Aside from the morality, As- aside from, I could be an objectivist. Aside from the yeah, morality, yeah, piece. yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- that um, and, and then what was the? Uh, I was just going to say um, I've always been a big fan of Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell's stuff just cuts you know right to the point on so many issues we talk about now, and race is such a big issue. And he was just, he wrote brilliant stuff on race. So he's another one. I don't know, I'd have to think yeah. about Jordan that. Peterson, I think, is highly regarded as one of the smartest people alive right now. But I think that he's a very humble dude, you know. And I think that he hit the nail on the head. <clears throat> hit the nail on the head. He says uh, that Thomas L is probably the most influential, not just economist, but philosopher of our time, our Isaac Newton Aristotle type person, and I agree. And I haven't, to my dis, to my shame, I haven't read uh, Milton's books. I've read no, Souls, yeah. but yeah. So <laughs> Friedman's yeah. books are, are very very readable, but then Souls are as well. So yeah, yeah. they're both they're both just brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. I don't see how you can read that stuff and not uh, come up, you know, not pick up uh, on the basic you know philosophy that we're into and stuff. Yeah. But I agree on the Atlas Shrugged piece, too. I competed for the, the essay contest maybe four times. I never won. What is, what is um, it? There's an Atlas Shrugged essay contest oh. for, I think it's junior in high school through doctoral student. And it's like fifteen dollars or $25,000, the grand prize for oh. education, uh, down to like a $10,000. So there's three winners. And I, I made it to be... Top 100 or top 20 finalists the last time that I tried. Nice. Um, amazing book, though. Just so. I'll also yeah. say um, when I was fairly young, I started on Atlas Shrugged, and after a couple of chapters, I wasn't getting into it. And I went and I read Fountainhead, mm-hmm. and I love Fountainhead. I'm like, oh, this is just brilliant. And after reading that, then I went back and, and, Atlas Shrug, I don't know, just worked better for me, and then I read it all the way through. I mean, it's it. it's certainly it's a, a much bigger, more yeah, complex it's a big book. <laughs> book than Fountainhead is focused on a few basic ideas, and Atlas Shrugged is is complex. So, Dave, okay, well, uh, I'll go with the Atlas Shrugged 
as well. I mean, we're all in agreement on that. There's a bunch of teenage libertarian guys. Uh, but uh, as far as like nonfiction, a book that I really loved and I picked up in, uh, in college was uh, Eric Hoffer, uh, True Believer, as a good political philosophy book. And then fiction-wise, um, another big book that uh, has really kept with me is uh, Deliverance by James Dickey. It's a good emotional book showing like people's base emotions and what motivates them. It uh, later made into the movie that everyone probably would uh, recognize. Uh, but it's oh, Deliverance. Yeah, Deliverance with Ned Beatty and uh, John it's, Voight. It's and, a it's a the book itself though is uh, philosophical. It's one? not a movie book. I mean, it was a the oh. book adapted to the movie, not uh, like oh. a, the Star Wars novel. I did not know that. It's a yeah. very good book. Yeah. James Dickey's a great author. Just very good at capturing the the, the raw emotions of people. He's Written another book, I forget the name of it, where it's about a guy who uh, is, uh, I think it was in China. He's a crash pilot and going through the, the jungles trying to escape his potential captors. Awesome. I have not read that, but I'll have to look it up. And uh, actually, I need to start putting these books on a list or a site somewhere on my website. But that's homework for another day. Uh, so it's been a great chat with Charlie and Dave. Or Dave and Charlie. I don't know the other two gentlemen's names, but I'll say two of the hosts of Lost in D.C. Uh, guys, if you haven't listened to Lost in D.C., type it in the YouTube. Give it a listen. Uh, likely coming to podcast stations near you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, guys, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for having us. Excellent. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.